Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Pod. Today is March 11th. Simon, how's it going, man? It is 20 degrees here in Toronto right now. Uh, yeah. And uh, I'm feeling pretty good about that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's around 10 in Ottawa. Um, I've still not been a lot outside because of uh, my knee. I still have to rest it a bit. But uh, I can. we open the window, let the breeze in. It's, uh, it's a little taste of spring. There you go. So I'm back from vacay, feeling good, feeling fresh. You know, it's really nice to go a while without looking at the stock market. And I encourage all of you to do the same. I, I got a question on the Stratosphere Forum today about like, should I be watching after hours prices and these kinds of things? It's like, no, absolutely not. You, like Long-term investors do not actually have to look at their stocks every day. I know, crazy foreign concept, but you really do not need to look at your portfolio that often because the amount, the, the, the speed that real business fundamentals change compared to how fast stock prices change. There's a big, huge disconnect. So this is just a, another classic reminder to focus on the business, not the stock price, because as we've seen, volatility is very normal, and we're back at all-time highs, Iman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just a quick note, uh, just because you brought it up for after hours trading. So always take that with a grain of salt. Uh, sometimes it can be a good indicator of what will happen the next day. But uh, usually there's limited liquidity, there's limited trading. So you can do see some spikes, um, you know, happen after hours and the next day it'll be completely different. So I would say tread with caution when uh, especially after hours. But yeah, you don't need to, to check your portfolio all the time. It'll probably drive you crazy even though even though i do it myself yeah i mean i mean i think we all i think we all do probably probably all check more than we should but um that's just because we enjoy it and there's nothing wrong with that all right so today we're going to talk you're going to mention a little bit about stimulus package and uh a report you saw from cnbc uh you're going to dig into resps and then we're going to talk about the classic coined term reopening trade, which is essentially businesses that have pent up demand or could be potentially undervalued based on the pandemic. They've suffered uh, you know, a hit to their business because of the pandemic and that the future probably looks better for them uh, with the light at the end of the tunnel. So uh, Simon, you want to kick it off there? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, the first thing I wanted to mention, so a lot of people will see, oh, stocks are going up and you'll see also in the names that uh, especially Braden will be mentioning is, yeah, okay, these businesses will benefit from reopening, but they're at all time highs. Well, a lot of it is because of the new money being injected in the economy, but specifically in the stock market. And uh, there's an interesting article on CNBC, and I will add it to the show notes um, so you guys can have a quick look. Uh, just basically a survey that they did um, over 430 investors who use online uh, broking, uh, broker platforms and just to know what they plan to do with their stimulus checks. And uh, depending on the age group, um, it's basically between 37 to 50 percent um, of 
of the amount they receive that they plan to uh, invest in the stock market. So in some cases, people are actually planning to invest half of their stimulus check into stocks. So um, I personally think that that's probably a factor right now. Um, there's been obviously some good news with vaccines rollout in the U.S., but also in Canada. But just that infusion of new cash um, is probably a big driver um, of those higher prices and a lot of all-time highs right now. And one of the reasons where why um, tech stocks or growth stocks have, have kind of pulled back from uh, their little dip a, a week or two ago. Yeah, they're they're very short dip. Yeah. I tweeted. I said last Saturday. I tweeted, "Good morning." Only if you bought the dip, because I mean, these businesses are very high quality for the most part. Many of them are very high quality. So, anytime you see a business executing extremely well and pulling back, like how can you not find this is we're going off topic but how can you not find amazon trading at like a four and a half percent free cash flow yield extremely attractive here uh that's that's a name i'm i'm like yeah even at even at that market cap it still seems like it has so much room um but we don't have to digress into that yeah exactly i mean i i don't disagree with that because i bought amazon maybe a month ago so uh, but yeah, let's. Uh, did you have anything else for the news, or uh, we'll go straight to our ESPs? Um, I'll post some news later tonight on my Twitter at Bredo Capital because uh, a name that people often request I talk about, Eng House, which trades on the TSX, reports earnings in three minutes as of recording this right now. So um, later, I'll post an update on on the results. Okay. Perfect. So let's go right into registered education savings plans or RESP. So we we had a few tweets on this maybe a month or two ago asking if we would do an episode on it. Uh, so I had to do some research. So I took a couple hours earlier this week just to, to research uh, this these type of um, registered account because I was not super familiar with them. Um, so this will be a high level. Um, they are definitely more complex than our RESPs and TFSA uh, by far. Are. especially um, you'll see depending uh, if your child ends up uh, not going to school but I digress I'll break it down as uh, as best as I can so there's tip there's three types of RESPs there's an individual RESP so that's basically if you only have one beneficiary so one when I say beneficiary I'll be referring to the child um, it tends to be good if you're not related uh, to the child himself. So it could be, you know, a, another family member, it could be even a neighbor. It doesn't have to be a, a family member. So um, that's that's a kind of uh, type of RESP that would apply here. Um, a family RESP is probably one of the most common. So the child must be re related to you by blood or adoption. So um, the Family RESP can be created by the parent, grandparent, brother, and sister. Um, it's great if you have more than one child in the family because there can be more than one beneficiary as long as the, uh, it's a sibling. Um, the group RESP is uh, only for one child again. Um, it's probably my least favorite of uh, the three, uh, mainly because it combines the money and savings towards the plan with other people. Um, and it's typically managed by the provider with low risk investments, but also means that your returns might not be as good. Um, so those are the three types of RESPs. 
in terms of what they can be used so they can be used for a wide range of education so i think a lot of people think it has to be um, university but it does not so um, there's a you can find full lists on the um, government of canada website but these are just uh, kind of some of the most common ones so um, so obviously university colleges trade schools um, in quebec cegeps uh, apprenticeship programs as well so it's really it's a really what is a cegep what is a that cegep is basically <laughs> so if we have some well i know we have a lot of non-quebec listeners so um i did my schooling in quebec so i'm familiar with it so basically when you finish high school in quebec um instead of going straight to university you have this uh, basically in between university where you can also do a uh, sort of technology a three-year program uh if you're like a tech technician or something like that but you can you most people will do two years and then go to university for three years instead of the the four years for university um, some people will even do one year of cegep um, I actually think it's a really good concept because um, I know when I finished high school I was pretty immature so going straight to university um, may not be the best thing it's also way less expensive than university and typically when kids finish high school um, they're not always sure what they want to do right so CEGEP is actually a good hybrid where they have general but also a bit more specific courses to really decide where, where they want to go um, you know uh, for their careers and their their training so that's kind of a little a little that's a good idea yeah yeah i think it's really i think personally it's really good um i believe it's free i think it's still free because i i obviously it's been a while for me uh but uh they um kids have to pay for their books so it's it obviously it's it's definitely more cost effective for uh, students those 800 dollar textbooks you mean yeah yeah the eight eight hundred dollar paperweights yeah Got pretty it. much <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, go on. Yeah, so in terms of the contribution and tax treatment, so um, you do not get a tax credit uh, for an RESP like um, you would get from a RRSP. And the gains are tax-free while the money is in the RESP. Uh, the money is taxed as the child's income level when it's withdrawn. So that's really how why it's so powerful in terms of vehicle because um, the child when he starts withdrawing on those funds if he's at university or college or whatever chances are that the child won't have a lot of revenue so it'll be a super low tax bracket so in, in a lot of cases even um the, the child won't have to pay any taxes depending on what the uh, his income is right so um that's where it becomes a really powerful uh, savings vehicle um, there's a $50,000 lifetime maximum contribution per child or per beneficiary. Um, you'll see that I will interchange these terms. If the money isn't going to be used by the beneficiary, the account can be transferred to a sibling. If no sibling, then the RESP must be closed by the time the child is 36. So all that to say you do have time um, if the child wants to, to go and uh, do a, uh, you know, a trip in Europe for a few years, that's fine. Um, you can still go to uh, post-secondary education a bit later on. Um, there is some grants that are available. Um, I'll go into a bit more detail uh, with that. Um, if you close the account, if the child is not going to use it, um, the remaining funds can be transferred to an RSP or withdrawn. Um, if they're withdrawn, you're not taxed on what was contributed since you were already taxed, but 
um, you are taxed on what was earned at your income level plus 20%. So keep that in mind. And that's where it gets really a bit more complex is if the account doesn't get used and the guy, the child doesn't go to a post-secondary education. Like this is just a simplified version. But if you ever get in this situation, it's probably best to consult with the tax professional uh, because it can get a bit complex. I mean, I, I tried to sort it out, but um, yeah, it was a bit beyond my expertise. Um, what the last thing that's really interesting for this type of account is the Canadian government actually um, can give you a matching called um, Canada, Canada Education Savings Grant, um, in short, CESG. Um, so what that is, it's 20% matching your contributions up to a total of $500 per child for, for the year. Uh, there's a lifetime maximum of $7,200 per child for the uh, CESG. If you missed a match for a given year, you can actually make up for it to get the additional $500 as a catch up for a given year. Uh, you can catch up for one previous year at a time by contributing more than the $2,500 per year, just like I mentioned. Um, to go back, if, if your child ends up not going to uh, post-secondary education, uh, the CESG grant must be repaid to the federal government. So keep that in mind. So that's just like I said, it's just an overview RESPs. Um, it's like I mentioned, it it's definitely more complex than our RESP and obviously a lot more complex than a TFSA. Uh, but yeah, it gets tricky, especially if the child doesn't use the money. But uh, it's a really, really interesting vehicle, um, especially if you have more than one kid, um, it, because you can use it for, you know, you might have two or three kids. Maybe one of them doesn't go to post-secondary high school, but you post-secondary education, but you could use it on another child. Um, so that's an RESP in a nutshell. Uh, Braden, anything to add there? No, I think that's that's good. We've been getting lots of questions about this account. Um, <clears throat> the only thing I would ask you is if I'm planning this and I, I have a kid who's probably going as post-secondary or, or the other option, you know, they want to do an apprenticeship or whatever it may be, there's got to be some gov website that we can point them to, right? It's some sort of yeah. federal. Yeah, site there is. So you can look it up. Yeah, I'll add that to the show notes as well. So it has all the information. There's also like a full CRA page on it that kind of go that goes into more detail about the taxation, especially the the age thirty six maximum, uh, but also to. Um, uh, for the grants and so on. So I'll put that in there. Also, um, there's something called that I'm going on memory here. I believe they're education saving bonds that um, you those are only available if you have a certain level of income. So it's for lower income families. So I'll add that as well um, in terms of links. So um, our listeners can go and have a look and uh, get more information. Obviously, I'm not an expert in these type of vehicles. So especially our, our ESP, this is just a high level breakdown. So make sure you do your due diligence if uh, you open one of those accounts. But uh, it's definitely a very interesting account if you have a family and you're planning to save for their education. Yeah, good good overview. It's one of those things where you gotta just work through it. You just follow along on the site, work yeah, through yeah. it, and it's really the it it's really the grant that's really something. Um, the grant and the, the tax transfer um, aspect of that vehicle; those are the two main components of this account. Yeah. 
Gotcha. All right, on to the second part of the show, the reopening trades. So we have a couple names here. I have twice the names Simon wrote here because he did the RESP summary. So I'm going to fire off two, and then Simon's going to throw us one as well. So, you know, mine are weird because, you know, pretty much all of these traded all-time highs. And typically, I'd be looking at this as a list of things that I'd want to look at that's beat up because, you know, there could be a turnaround story. Not that I'm that type of investor in general, but, I mean, if you're really looking at this trade, that's probably where your head would be going. Uh, But these businesses are very, very good businesses that are affected by the pandemic with tons of built-up, pent-up demand for them. Now, they do trade at all-time highs. They might have lagged you know, some of the high-flying tech or not, uh, depending on the name. But these are companies that the future doesn't just look like, oh, it's back to business as normal. I think there's tons of pent-up demand with all the savings rates. You know, globally, savings rates are at all-time highs. And consumers are hungry to get out there um, and do stuff. So I'm going to start with you know, two names I talk about all the time, and I'm bundling them as one. It's Visa and MasterCard. Now, Visa and MasterCard obviously benefiting from the cashless society that we're going towards that was sped up from the pandemic. You know, cash is dirty now. But if you look at the financials, Visa and MasterCard have actually taken a hit on their top and bottom lines. And that's because a big part of their business is cross-border transactions. So when I go use my visa in another country, that's a cross-border transaction. And cross-border transactions fell 29% because of the pandemic. And that affects the business quite a bit. Uh, The revenue is down 17% in that quarter where uh, transactions fell 29%. So net volume might be, you know, improving a lot with the, the cashless society that we're going towards and everyone only taking these types of payments. But once that travel opens back up, Visa and MasterCard, a big part of their business is that cross-border transactions. And that's a that's going to come back in a big way. Uh, Visa and MasterCard have performed excellently over the last like month or so, but they've lagged uh, a little bit. Um, and I think there's just so much upside in these businesses right now. It's it's uh, it's remarkable how much upside they present. So uh, that's that's my first one. Second one is is Disney, which is very interesting because there's a lot to unravel with Disney right now. There was a huge narrative shift between the impending doom of Disney when the pandemic hits. It's like, oh, there's no movies and no no parks, which is such a big part of the business, by the way. The parks is a really, really big part of the business. And then all of a sudden, Disney Plus just starts rocking it. And Bob Chapek, the CEO, they've done such a good job of navigating the situation, but also switching the narrative. Uh, Disney Plus just hit 100 million subscribers, which is pretty pretty insane. I think that was their five-year target that they absolutely smashed in like three months. Uh, so with parks reopening and the movie business reopening, their intellectual property is just probably the best on the planet. I mean, think about how valuable the IP at Disney is. And now they have this other segment with 100 million subscribers uh, paying that monthly fee with Disney+. 
And it's like, wow, okay, so this this business got stronger kind of out of nowhere. Uh, and once those other segments open up uh, with the reopening, Disney is just in a really good spot right now. And uh, I don't know a position, but this is – talk about IP. I mean, you can, they can just milk that IP in forever. And uh, it's a really good business, and congrats to the management team. They've done a really good job. Are you a subscriber? I, I'm a, I'm one of those people. I am literally one of those people you can see on the curve when the Mandalorian is out. I'm a <laughs> subscriber, and I'm not when it's not out. Like once I finish them, I'm like, okay, sorry, I don't want to watch Frozen two, so I'm gonna probably just cancel this and resubscribe later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we did kind of uh, we did the same thing, uh, but I kept it a little longer because um uh, my fiance likes the christmas movies so obviously disney has a lot of christmas movies so we kept it during the holidays and then canceled it yeah 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 i mean but even they've hit that 100 million mark post post mandalorian season finishing so there's something to it right there's something to the story and the kids love it and the parents are willing to you know get the kids the subscription throw it on their ipad and so that they can work at home in peace. Yeah, yeah. it'll be interesting to see um, how the price increase goes in the next few years and to see if that impacts membership or not. I have a feeling it probably won't all that much because Netflix has had uh, decent pricing power, but that that is the one part I think it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, it's a good point. I, I was so wrong about Netflix's pricing power issues. And uh, yeah, no one even cares when they raise it a buck or two anymore. So I, I suspect a similar story with Disney. Okay, so I'm going to go. Um, I went a little different direction, as you know, on this one, because I wanted uh, kind of a Canadian flavor for these uh, picks, uh, because we are the Canadian Investor Podcast. And I know sometimes... We'll, are we? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes we get carried away with these like high growth businesses uh, in the U.S. And obviously there is way more selection in the U.S. But um, there's a couple of businesses that I found interesting um, for some more value plays. So keep that, keep that in mind. Uh, one's uh, probably a, actually two are probably more like deep value plays. So the first one is a very small cap. I would probably continue probably say it's a micro cap even so it's indigo chapters um the ticker What's is the market cap on that yeah it's 103 million oh it's, it's that small wow okay yeah, it's that small yeah so it's really been uh like their stock has been crushed over the uh over the last uh year and a half or so um so yeah chapters is really interesting uh, for me because the obvious the obvious uh premise or the obvious um thing against it right now is obviously Amazon um, because a lot of people just order books on Amazon and why would you go in person and so on well my counter argument to that is yeah of course I won't deny that a lot of people will go and just order whatever book they want online but I personally actually like to go to Indigo Chapters. I do like that a lot of them have Starbucks so I can go there my fiance likes to go there as well just to browse around I like to go just have, uh, you know, a coffee at Starbucks and then I'll browse, uh, sit down, maybe, uh, you know, read a few pages of some books and then decide if I want to buy it or not. But uh, the reason why I think it, it could do pretty well, it's also like super cheap right now, is uh, mainly because people are, you know, 
rightfully so they're fed up with the pandemic and being stuck inside and i think especially people that may not have enough money for a trip or something like that they may enjoy these little experiences like that where you know it's the little things just going in person spending an hour or two at chapters with a coffee reading some magazines some books whatever it is so i think they're you know it's not necessarily a super long-term investment but as a value play i think it's pretty interesting because their current ratio is over one so they're not in financial trouble or anything like that they're trading at less than 0.15 price to sell so, so that's um that's really low obviously um and i mean once like i said once the pandemic is over i feel like they they'll do pretty well and they've done like pretty decently over the pandemic like their revenue went down a little bit but uh, not as much as i would have thought and their balance sheet looks decent and it could also be a takeover play as well so um, i don't necessarily advocate um, investing in companies just because you think it'll be taken over or there's going to be activist investors but uh, it's it's one i'm actually thinking about i'll have to dig more into it but uh, in that taxable account a bit more as a uh, play money uh, it's one that that's uh, intriguing for me as a devalue play. Yeah, I, I like it if, as long as we preface it that, yeah, it's probably a bit of a melting ice cube, but it's got to be worth more than a hundred million bucks. Like, especially because their e-commerce experience is actually pretty good. I've used their e-commerce experience many times, like well pre-pandemic. Um, and there's lots of locations nearby and you can get it shipped to the store or you can get it right to your house. And a lot of people like, if you're like reading books like us, I, I, going to the bookstore is nice. It smells good. Like how good do books smell? And like, that's a real thing. Yeah. Um, so if you don't I, have I, a mask on. I like yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. If you, yeah, exactly. If you're not wearing an N95, you can smell it. Um, but I like it. I mean, is it, the greatest business ever? No. Is it probably worth more than what it trades for? Probably. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you went the different route because I'm just going like so, so consensus with these picks. Hey, like it's all good. Knows Gotta mix it up, right? Place. Mix it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I like, I like it. Okay, uh, two more kind of obvious reopening experiential plays, but these were two businesses that I basically had on my watch list before the pandemic. And I was like, oh my God, this is not good for these businesses. But now it's like, I guess they're already trading at all-time highs. So, I mean, is it a reopening trade? Maybe maybe we're a bit too late to them. But Live Nation may have, may have the most pent-up demand of any business I can think of personally. Uh, concerts are going to come back with a vengeance. I mean, I'm a huge concert goer. All of them got canceled. I had a bunch that I was excited for. And who's going to be selling those tickets? Well, Ticketmaster is. And I, I think that artists are ready to get back out there, do long tours, you know, do way more shows than they had even previously planned because I think there's just so much pent up demand for this right now. And, and people would love to go to concerts. Do I think concerts are going to be happening like really in the next little bit? I mean, maybe, probably not. Uh, so we the market may have got a little ahead of itself with this one, but when it does come back, I, I believe that 
this is a business that's really going to benefit from it. Whether it's concerts, whether it's sporting events, you name it. Ticketmaster sells those tickets. And Live Nation is the owner of that, and they will benefit from that. Um, moving on, Booking Holdings. By the way, this company is about to hit $100 billion in market cap. I was just looking earlier. This is, this is a huge business. Uh, travel demand, obviously, is going to explode. But just like uh, many things, the, the platform is usually, not usually, but very often is better in terms of profitability than the actual airlines. You know, the platform like Book and Hold, Booking Holdings has much better profitability, much better gross margins. And these are, it's, they own really, really good assets. They like, I'm a big traveler. And Kayak and Google Flights are my go-to for flight booking with Kayak almost always being the best one to show me the best results, the best prices, the best flight times, which is a booking holdings asset. Um, I took 29 flights last summer. I guess it would be two summers ago now. Wow. Uh, and they were almost always booked on Kayak because when I look on any other competitor, Kayak would always show me the best price at the best time and, and they just have the best I think they have the best product. So Bookings is a great company. It's really at all-time highs again, and uh, but it's it's quite large. They own good assets. If you believe travel's coming back in a big way, these are the businesses that are gonna that are gonna benefit from that. Yeah, and I would probably add even VRBO. Uh, sorry, not VRBO, but Expedia, who owns VRBO. Um, I'm not super familiar with their financials, so it's just um, just a name like that. But uh, just the aspect that they have that uh, kind of you know um, booking like uh, Airbnb a little bit. So I find that a bit intriguing, but would be in the same same category, obviously, as booking holdings. Yeah, very similar. Uh, they'd be direct competitors. Yeah. And just a quick note on uh, Live Nation. Did you know um, that uh, the Blue Jays are open are uh, playing the Texas Rangers and uh, their first game against the Rangers? They're actually uh, it'll be the home opener for the the Rangers, and they'll have full capacity <laughs> at their stadium in Texas. In Texas on April sixth, yeah, I think. Oh is the my home, goodness, the fifth, me fifth actually, I think is the the home opener. So just to go to the Live Nation one, like I mean, the concert may start before we actually think. Maybe not in Canada, but probably in the yeah, US. Yeah, maybe not here. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I saw like even like the Raptors that uh, they're playing in Florida and are gonna have uh, fans, and you know, Texas is just saying, okay, everything's open full. Full fledged, go for it. So I mean, we'll see. It's hard for us here to even realize that that's possible, but uh, it's happening. So good yeah. point. Yeah, exactly. So uh, so my next one is uh, one we've talked before. So Suncor Energy. Um, so that's obviously a play on reopening because um, the overall uh, demand for oil has gone way way down with the pandemic. Uh, like Braden said, people were not traveling. Um, and they sell jet fuel, for example. So that's a decent portion of the revenue. Um, you know, people just not driving as much with the pandemic so their revenues really got hit uh, they had to cut the dividend um, but if you think that um, that obviously things will get more and more back to normal and 
as much as I like renewable energy, I probably we're still not there for a full transition for probably several years, uh, probably if not a decade or more. Um, and if you don't mind investing in oil companies, um, it's it's definitely a, a good play because it's also a well diversified oil producer. So they refine, um, they also uh, their producer, um, they have the gas station with Petro Canada as well. Um, so it's it's a well diversified oil company. So if you're looking for a oil play this may be one that uh, would be interesting for you personally um, just for personal reason I don't want to invest in oil so I wouldn't but I do know we have uh, some people that uh, ask us a lot about uh, different oil producers in Canada um, any any comments on that one Brian I've seen some really really smart people go into some of these beat up oil names uh, with with good reason and there's a reason to believe that you know the the time could be right for some of these names like like you said it might not be for us but there are some really smart people who understand this industry much much better and are you know betting the house on a recovery with these names so could be a good idea yeah it's uh, probably a, you, a really good value yeah. play yeah 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 i don't know if you'll catch it in either of our portfolios but um <laughs> it's all right i mean look no one that like you know you invest the way that you you want to invest right? exactly so that's it exactly good that's a great point uh okay i'm gonna go a little more on your uh your tone there with uh office rates and even like high quality retail like when i think of brookfield property partners they own the best real estate like straight up and I think I I am against the common belief that we're not going back to the office. I think many businesses really want their people back. And when you talk to when you hear Bruce Flat talk about all the, the conversations that he has, I'm talking about the CEO of Brookfield, by the way, for those who don't know Bruce Flat. He talks about CEOs and, and management teams wanting their people back. Now, are many big tech firms who are very technology advanced and have the right remote work capabilities, are they all going to come back? No, probably not. There's a change there. That being said, there is a strong case for human connection in business and many management teams want their people back in office whether it's some of the time, all the time, who who am I to, to really say? But I, I think that office REITs, the price here could be right even for high-quality retail like a Brookfield who owns that you know central type of mall property right in the heart of the, be the best cities in the world. Uh, the narrative that these things are just going to go away is just – it's just not really true. And um, this could be this. The time could be right for these these things. I'm curious on your thoughts there. Yeah, yeah. The only thing I would say is Brookfield Property Partners being bought out by Bam, right? So they're, they're gonna, Ex yeah. exactly. It, that's and that's Bruce just signaling Same to everyone value. like, hey, 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, no, that's uh, definitely fair. I know uh, my employers, I, they haven't said exactly what it's going to look like uh, once uh, every, you know, vaccines are available for everyone. But it feels like it'll probably be up to uh, the employees, whether they want to work from home or, or at work or a combination of the both. Um, so I think a lot of business will probably go that route or do a, a mix of both. Or And at the same time, they may actually you know, keep the same space or have a bit more uh, just as a precaution to like just space out people a bit more. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's a, it's a bad play whatsoever. Um, I, I'm still uncertain to what level um, businesses will kind of embrace that. I know some have mentioned that they want to. I believe Shopify said uh, that they basically will allow their employees to work wherever they want uh, for, I think, the foreseeable future. So I think it will it'll be interesting to see in the next few years uh, with direction it goes. But I think it's probably overstated uh, the death of the office space. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because you the management team may say one thing, um, but their actions might be counterintuitive. Like there's been several cases. I'm pretty sure shopify got more floors at the at the well being built in toronto like recently so um it's funny you gotta you gotta watch what management says versus what they actually do and and i think that their actions of of what they're doing are speaking that they want their staff um engaging with each other in person again and uh i could be dead wrong on this like i'm you know like i say you could fill all of Indigo chapters with books, I'm, I'm stuff I'm wrong about, but I, I really believe that management teams want their people back. And uh, I guess time will tell. Time will tell. Yeah, we can revisit that uh, at the end of 2022. <laughs> <laughs> the end of 2040, we'll know for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, last one. Uh, you have one more actually yeah. after this, but Alphabet. I mean, what a business Google is. But there's been strong, you know, strong demand for ad spend over the pandemic. And um, I think it's going to be even stronger when experiential type businesses that we've been talking about reopen. Those are big, big customers for uh, for Alphabet in terms of that like cost per click uh, for real time type experiences of people getting their their uh, their. Uh, Add right to the top of every search, the amount of online experiences and consumer experiences that start on Google uh, is over ninety percent, and this is going to just be really good for Google. Like for instance, we were talking about Expedia earlier. They spend five billion dollars a year on digital advertising, and Alphabet gets a very large chunk of that. Um, because when you are looking for flights or you're looking for hotels, where do you go first? You start, you start with Google. So there's two things happening there is Google now has a very big travel business. Like if you're looking for flights, they can own the ecosystem in terms of actually showing you on their Google flights platform. And if other businesses like booking and like Expedia want to compete on that, the cost per click is very, very high. Um, and Google will say, okay, sure, you know, the margins are better for us if you actually just spend in our core business on our advertising platform. So 
they're uh, the cost per click is very high on this type of stuff. With the economy reopening, there's lots of small businesses, large businesses alike, who are going to ramp up ad spend when consumers are ready to uh, to go because saving rates are so high, and uh, you know the floodgates are going to open. So, as much as we talk about some of these valuations on not 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 Alphabet, but some of the valuations just across many businesses being frothy with so much stimulus and all this other stuff, with interest rates where they are. I know they raised them. It's like, oh, let's freak out. They're still so low. And there's lots of reasons to be very bullish on the future with, with uh, you know, things coming back full swing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I don't think you can go wrong uh, with Google. Um, don't have much to add on that. So I'll, uh, I'll finish it up with my last, um, last one. So it's uh, ticker fun. F-U-N, Cedar Fair. So if you're not familiar with uh, Cedar Fair, and obviously they have like one of the best tickers, let's be honest, right? Fun. <laughs> I love it. And uh, so Cedar Fair, they have the amusement parks. So the reason why I took Cedar Fair over Disney or over um, Six Flags Entertainment is because Cedar Fair owns Canada's Wonderland. So I wanted to keep that Canadian flavor. Um, obviously, pretty much all of their parks are in the U.S. Um, I mean, their revenues just got crushed in 2020 for obvious reasons. They were uh, closed for a big chunk of the year. Um, there is also quite a bit of debt on the balance sheet, so make sure you do your due diligence there. Um, obviously, things have to reopen and go well for them this year. Um, they did burn like over $500 million in cash last year. So, I mean, it was not, it was a tough year. So this is really really a deep value play um, you need to really uh, make sure you do your due diligence here but there could be a you know light at the end of the tunnel especially since most of their operations a vast majority is in the U.S. and we know that the U.S. has been way faster to uh, reopen so that should benefit the Cedar Fair um, so it's an interesting play um, a company I'm not very familiar with I knew about it but uh, something people can look into if they're looking into really the deep value that would be that would be the space but obviously they'll they'll benefit from reopening i just want to buy it for the ticker alone that's <laughs> guaranteed fun exactly it might be a roller coaster ride but uh, it'll be fun no, it's, it's interesting because cedar fair uh i used to be really into roller coasters we'd go to florida every year um and visit like my grandma's place and it was it was in orlando right near some of the best amusement parks and Bush Gardens, you know, all all those ones and some of the unreal ones in, in Ohio. And when Cedar Fair bought Canada's Wonderland, which is only like 40 minutes from my house, the amusement park got so much better. You know, all of a sudden they started building these huge coasters and it's a really good amusement park. Like it's actually very solid. If you're into roller coasters, they have some massive coasters and it's really well run. It's just pretty expensive to go <laughs> it's, it's not i mean think for yeah. a full day oh, yeah. it's really not that bad i'm a roller coaster really guy too bad. and uh, i've been to uh, canada's wonderland it was uh, it was a lot of fun i'd probably go again uh, to be honest it's underrated but i feel like there's monetization like 
things are missing out on. Like, there's no like winter stuff. I could be completely wrong on this, by the way. There's probably like yeah, it's very events. seasonal. No, no, you're right. It's very seasonal. So that is the one thing I forgot to mention. When you're looking at an amusement park, um, you'll see the very seasonal business. So there, a lot of them will shut down during the the winter. That I know, and I actually. Uh, I'm going to correct myself from earlier because uh, as you were talking, I noticed that uh, Six Flags Entertainment actually owns La Ronde in Montreal, which is uh, an amusement park in Montreal. So you could go Six Flags or Cedar Fair. Um, they pro- haven't looked really in depth at Cedar Flag either, so they're probably in this similar situation to... Um, to uh, Cedar Fair, but uh, something to, to consider if you're looking for deep value plays with a little kind of Canadian taste to them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Six Flags owns all the ones in Ohio, like the really good ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I've been to that home I, too, and it, it's a good one. It's fun, yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's a monetization beyond the like uh, summer that they're missing out on. Like they do the Halloween haunt thing, it's pretty fun if you're like in grade four, um, but like honestly, I feel like they're missing out on some monetization. But who knows? All right, that does it for this one, guys. If you like the pod, go ahead, give us five stars. If you're on Spotify and you don't, you haven't pressed that follow button at the top there, go ahead and do that. Really appreciate. It. It helps us grow the pod because it is growing so so fast, and we appreciate all of you for that. If you go to getstockmarket.com, you can go, to, it'll redirect you to Stratosphere. We have a community forum there. You can search up any company we're talking about, find 10 year financial statements because that is almost impossible to find anywhere else. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you later. See you next week. Take care. Bye bye. The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simon may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions.